Hi, friends of the pod. So before we start this week's episode, we wanted to let you know that we have swag and it's yours if you want to help us out just a tiny, tiny bit. So if you rate and write a review of the podcast, we will send you some of our groovy shit, including a Better Red Than Dead themed button and stickers. So for the button, you have your choice of one that says book jerk or one that is an image of Frankenstein that says large adult son. And for the stickers, you get two and one's of the logo and the other is a heart-shaped die-cut sticker that says, I like you more than Trotsky, referencing our 1984 episode. All you need to do to get your hands on this awesome, much-anticipated swag is to send a screenshot of you posting the review to betterredpodcast at gmail.com, along with the address you'd like us to mail your thank you gift to. So let us know whether you want the book jerk button or the Frankenstein button. And thank you very much for all your support. Hi, this is Better Red Than Dead. It's a literature podcast from a left perspective. I'm Megan. I'm Tristan. I'm Katie. And today we are going to be talking about The Fall of the House of Usher, which is Edgar Allan Poe's 1839 short story about twincest. So why The Fall of the House of Usher, Katie? Oh, well, Edgar Allan Poe is creepy as fuck and he rocks. Uh, There's a nostalgia factor because my grandpa used to read us Poe. Uh, When we were super little, um, because he was the best and like didn't give a shit that, um, you know, he he felt like we were adults enough to absorb the Poe and he let and he read it to us and it was cool as hell. Um, So this the thing about Poe is it also gives us a chance to really, really rock out with our cocks out um, and be like, (laughs) like major dipshits. Like we can talk about how the womb is the tomb and how oh, yeah. the house of Usher actually means the house of Usher and there's a double meaning. <laughs> um, it, it also it also goes into some stuff that's really important to me. Um, like, for instance, it explains why it's always a terrible idea to reconnect with old friends, why you should never stay at someone's house when you're visiting with them. And it also gives us justification for doing what we should already be doing anyway, which is avoiding twins because <laughs> twins, twins are witchcraft. They are Ouija boards. Twins are like doing yoga. It's all the devil. Um, and the cool thing about this story is that it's also it's it's incest, which is which is great in literature. But it's also, as Megan said, it's about twincest, which is like high octane top shelf 24 karat gold thank you for admiring my blood diamonds special in the back secret stash incest <laughs> and so it's it's just like the best you can get um and also my therapist Stuart hi Stuart um briefly worked at the Poe Museum so I'm excited to read Poe that is like that's a that is something to have on your CV that I will never have and I really admire it it's cool. <laughs> so I wanted to read this because uh, two words, sibling incest, which Hell is yeah. one of my three favorite weird topics in all of American literature. 
and literature generally. Um, and everybody loves it. So it's like in Poe and Melville and Faulkner and Gene Stafford and Nabokov and like a billion other people. Um, sibling incest is tied in with like property, the failure of the nuclear family, um, miscegenation anxiety gets raised here. It's super, super cool. Um, and I love it. And a few years ago, I managed to talk my MA students into saying that we can call the family the Oedipal Trapezoid, like, because it has siblings in it, and they bought it, and I cannot believe that they bought it. Because <laughs> um, I just, like, straight made it up. Uh, it's also, like, not a thing. Um, why, and- why not a square? Because it sounds funny. I don't know. Because it, <laughs> it doesn't sound as much as like I made it up, but I did. Uh, it's a rectangle. Sure. Uh, it's, a, it's not a rhombus, I guess. Uh, yeah. Also, like Poe is insane in almost every way a person can be insane. Yes. It's the best. Indeed. Yeah, I like, wrote the best. Yeah, Meg, I remember you you convinced me uh that um that incest is like the major theme in American literature. And I remember the first time you said that to me, I was like, Oh, that's funny hyperbole. And then I was like, wait a minute. No, like yeah, that actually is what all of American <laughs> yeah, like, I'm kind of not fucking with you when I say that. Like when you think of how many people sibling incest like well parent-child incest comes up in totally different fucked up ways but like oh yeah it's a real thing yeah no totally totally there were two cousins in love on dr phil yesterday really did he approve of this arrangement you know i only watch the commercial so (laughs) i can't say are they aristocrats because we learned when we read pride and prejudice that there are some cousin allowances Right. Uh, no, but they did tell the joke, the aristocrats, and it was really filthy. Oh, <laughs> middle middle of the day television. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty racy. Yeah. yeah, they brought out Gilbert Godfrey to, to do it too, right? Just in the middle of the show. Yeah, <laughs> Just, yeah. Um, that's what you need in the middle of your day. Yeah, always, always. Uh, yeah, so um, as as a as an Eastern Shore native, sort of, I eight miles outside the Maryland border. Uh, I very much appreciate Poe's connection to Balmer or Baltimore for you normal types. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I uh, uh, I haven't read Poe in, in quite a long time, uh, but I have a lot of uh, fond memories from childhood and adolescence of reading, like you know, the Cask of Amontillado around Halloween or whatever, and getting super spooked um, and thinking that was cool. Um, and yeah, I'd like, you know, so my scholarship has tended to focus on the other side of the Atlantic, although a little bit lesser these days. Um, and in that context, Poe is sort of late with the high goth shit, because um, like the heyday of the gothic novel in Britain was more like the late 18th and early 19th century. So this is like the 1830s and 40s. It's um, it's a little bit after the fact. Um, but I think as such, he's also sort of the most advanced or, you know, an example of the most advanced version of the form. Um, and I do think like the short story, which he is really, you know, I mean, that that that's kind of his thing um, yeah. works so well for the Gothic. Uh, and, you know, I mean like Ad Radcliffe, Hey, maybe you didn't need 9,000 fucking pages for this. Maybe you needed 30. <laughs> um, 
and yeah, no, I beg, I, I know you're you're super into like why the short story is is important. Oh, yeah, um, for sure. And and yeah, and I and I do think that you know something I might like to talk about today is just like his, sort of his contributions to short fiction, and and also why that might be a form that is particularly well suited to the kind of thematic subject matter that he's um you know that he that he's working with. Yeah, I mean, it's something that like this isn't what you said, but I it made me think of it as like he so tracks these like older and newer forms simultaneously right so like the gothic stuff he feels like the old he feels like the youngest possible gothic writer mm-hmm. but the oldest possible detective fiction writer yeah yeah right yeah 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 mm-hmm. so it's like he's tracking these older and like super modern forms simultaneously which is so interesting i hadn't thought of it that way yeah yeah well i mean so there's like sort of like detective fiction very early in the 18th century and then it like goes away for a long time and then like yeah poe is sort of a moment when it's it's coming at least in britain and i'm I, i'm not sure of the story in america but in britain there's yeah it's like there's this weird hiatus and then like yeah poe would be right at the point when it kind of comes back in the middle of like urbanization and all kinds of reasons why like sort of criminality is suddenly on people's minds socially um including the development of phrenology which we're going to talk about yes <laughs> right i i would love to <laughs> okay because i am so fucking pumped Okay, Katie, will you tell us a little bit about Poe or a little bit about this work and how, why, why it came into being? Well, I will not tell you about that. Um, <laughs> I'm going to tell you something else. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> tell you something totally different. Um, I want to talk about, today I want to talk about uh, stamps.com, the only place where I get my stamps. Casper mattress. It's what's for dinner. <laughs> blue apron. We're um, <laughs> doing blue apron. Uh, do you ever get itchy? Because I have a cream for you. <laughs> and enter my code buttrash at checkout. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, no. So what I actually want to talk a little bit about is kind of a way to a way of extending our discussion about genre to kind of like one way of getting deeper into the gothic is to talk about um, Freud's uncanny as we read this. And so, so it's like excited. kind of a and what? I'm so excited Megan's, about Freud. Megan's uh, <laughs> I know Megan's pumped. We're all pretty pumped. Um, not to say like we have to read every we have to like spot the uncanny like where's Waldo. Um, but I thought it's it's a useful concept and um it sort of like helps explain a lot of the freaky shit in this uh in this short story. So it's this 1919 work by Freud, and it's sort of like it's sort of interesting on its own. Um, and the idea most basically is just the familiar made strange. So I'll be perfectly candid. I passed my grad program language requirement by running shit through Google Translate. So like, I don't really know about the original German moments. Um, (laughs) But Freud says this, um, you know, like the instead of uncanny, the better word we'd want from German is unhomely. And so like the home that gets turned into the unhome. And we talk about that in the House of Usher. It's it's right there in the name. but there's like something really scary about a frightening home. You hear about like home invasions really, really terrifying. Something scary is in the basement, something that's under there that won't be repressed. Like who's going to go downstairs and check for the Babadook? It's not going to be me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, And so to get into the uncanny, Freud uses this story called The Sandman, which is weird as fuck. So it's about this guy who gets- It's amazing. It's it's just like, it's it's whack as can be. It's awesome, but it's also awesome. And so he gets told about this, um, The Sandman, when he's little, and it's like- evil santa claus who comes down the chimney and instead of giving presents he steals your eyeballs <laughs> yep and so like that's sandman and uh it's not like it's not like oh my friend sandy we call him the sandman it's like <laughs> your eyes yeah um and so he gets told about the sandman and then his this guy's dad is friends with a creepy alchemist who tries to steal his eyes uh and it doesn't work out and then he falls in love with a robot. Yep. Uh, and then he gets engaged. So things are really working out for him. <laughs> uh, but, then, <laughs> but then he looks through a looking glass, freaks the fuck out, tries to kill his fiance, and jumps out of a tower. Yep. Uncanny. <laughs> um, but there's stuff going on here about the eyes. And so, like, the eyes, uh, there's stuff about that we'll, we'll get to talk about a little bit with Poe about eyeballs um but the eyes are always about castration for freud and they're also really important to the gothic because they enlarge the epistemology like no other sense so for humans like the way we rely on our eyes um is is so major uh so like revealing something hidden you you sort of like um you need to like the you know see to believe sort of thing like that expression right um but the tldr on it is that the uncanny is the home that's made into the unhome and it's the return of the repressed. So it's about also about making and unmaking. So how we are recognizable and unrecognizable to ourselves Mm -hmm. and it has to do with seeing ourselves like in a mirror. Um, So, so if you look, looking at yourself in a mirror is, is uncanny. Um, So the reflection is how you see yourself and how you recognize yourself, but it also splits you. It's like, I'm here and I'm there. Mm -hmm. So any kind of splitting of subjectivity, like we have with the twinning Mm -hmm. is, is uncanny. Um, So it's, it's about like what should be most familiar uh, getting rendered most strange. And that's because you have uh, for Freud, at least like you have a, a, conscious life and an unconscious life and so what freud says basically is that this is the uncanny are frightening things um in which the frightening element can be shown to be something repressed which recurs Mm -hmm. so it's not just stuff that's familiar but it has to be the repressed right so yeah um so it scares you and leads you back to something familiar uh maybe that you've like buried could be something like i don't know your sister that you buried in a tomb and then you didn't unbury because <laughs> you scared that she'd be pissed at you. Right. Something like that. Just tossing that out there. Something buried in the walls or under the floor that is alive, which never happens in Poe. Right. Not, not once. Not once. Yeah. Um, so I actually have Even a- the twin as a form is an uncanny. Like twinning, mm-hmm. but also like the Freudian thing of the the double the doppelganger right which is like a big literature trope and it keeps coming up again and again and freud thought that his own doppelganger was uh arthur schnitzler who was a german playwright austrian maybe austrian playwright (laughs) and he was very freaked out by this which is uh so if you want to go read la ronde which is his amazing play yeah how how neat how neat for them yes it's uh freud always has those weird biographical things that you're like oh you also were like a little crazy 
so I actually have, I mean, this is kind of like a dumb historical question, um, but that like, so, I mean, you, people have done psychoanalytic readings about, and I mean, you know, people have done psychoanalytic readings about ancient Greek literature. Like there's no, you know, I mean, the, the sort of like interpretive technology that Freud and his successors give us is, is not like, it's not like, oh, an author had to be aware of these concepts in modern ways to get to them. Um, but it does seem like Poe is like a good example and, and, and kind of 19th century writers around his time are example of one. Like, yeah, like, I mean, you can clearly see someone who is starting to work through um, kind of psychological structures in a very sort of like pre Freudian way. So I, I guess I, I'm just like, is that, I mean, so is, do, do we get Freud out of like a lot of 19th century uh, discourses, right? Like, so he's kind of like at a moment where we can kind of synthesize all this. And that's why, like, you can look at someone like Poe and be like, oh, yeah, I can actually sort of very clearly see how this, you know, theorist of about 50 years later is like very present to this person in a way that, you know, if, if you went 50 years earlier into the 18th century might not be present in the same way. So my theory on it, is that, and this probably doesn't answer your question super well, but that like what Freud is doing it with the uncanny is actually just like, it's sort of the same thing that Burke is doing uh, in the sublime, w- when he talks about the sublime, which is just like pointing out things that for whatever reason, like make your butt clench and you get nervous, <laughs> right? And, and so like, he's giving it, so he's just saying like, it would be so like, it, it's, um I think that, and I'm not one to, rely like lean too hard on this but it's like the shit that like okay so like a baby won't crawl on a glass table right because right. it just like naturally is scary mm-hmm. right i think it's sort of this i think it's like we're at that we're at that level of like freud is naming something that is is um like about being scared mm-hmm. and uh i think that it's just like it's in the air it's it's I hate to say natural. Right. Yeah. But it's just like, it's in there. Yeah. No, and I, I mean, sure. And that's what, you know, like, uh, I mean, Hamlet is a great example of, of of an object from 300 years before Freud, where it's like, you know, people say, wow. Like, I mean, actually, yeah, Freud gives a name to all these things that like are, are just, yeah, pre- like already present. Yeah. I mean, I think this is like total speculative jazz. So I hope I don't get some like real dorky email about it. <laughs> but I mean, I sort of have two thoughts. And one is like, I think a lot of the stuff that we can talk about with things like phrenology or like other weird forms of like social and biological science in the 19th century is stuff that like Freud comes at the end of this period of time where people are really trying to figure out sort of the relationship between our interiority and our social lives. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think that's something that Poe is trying to do too and something that's like always going to be a problem in terms of like, God, now I sound like the humanist sort of dork when I'm just like, we're all interested in like the relationship between our inside and our outside. But like, we sort of are. I'm not sure it's a problem we're going to solve, but like. I mean, as an an 18th centuryist, it's like that, that actually, that is, that is sort of like you know, the, my, the air I study is at the moment when that really, do, yeah, that like there is a thing called the social that's like not quite the public and not quite the private. Um, and, and right. that you, who you are as a private individual is, is, has, it does not have like necessarily a completely clear cut relationship to who you are as sort of a public subject. So that, yeah, no, that, that's actually really helpful 
to me. And I think there's like a certain kind of empiricism anxiety that comes up in things like Poe that's reflected in things like the detective story, right? So there's all this like, we could do science in our literature. And Freud really thinks what he's doing is science. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so there is this sort of like scientific inquiry that both Poe and Freud are engaging um, that doesn't quite answer the question of the uncanny, but it's, I think, like, something they have in common. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. that they're trying to, like, for real do science, but they are approaching it as we would all now say, like, you guys are just doing literature. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. <laughs> Anything is science if you want it bad enough. That's right. <laughs> it's all, that's that's what detective fictions are. They're just empiricism. Yeah, no, I mean that. I think that's very true. Which is why Conan Doyle thought that there were for real fairies in the English countryside. Because there are. <laughs> because there are, of course. Yeah, yeah, and don't piss them off. Well, okay? you already warned us to stay away from Ouija boards, so like, I'm, you know. Yeah. Uh, sorry, not that uh, big digression, but this makes me think. I just recently learned what like kind of Scandinavian mythology actually says elves are. Cause like the, the tall dorks from like Lord of the Rings, it's like, oh, no, yeah. like elves are like tidy, terrifying beings that live in like rocks and stuff. You know? and so, yeah. 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 <laughs> so, anyway, sorry. And they also like switch out their kids for your kids. Yes, exactly. That's exactly Aren't right. All of those things, like essentially like brownies and, leprechauns and isn't that stuff all actually terrifying it's just like we oh, told through yes contemporary no. narrative is like no they're like adorable yes no totally totally but all of those things are in fact like gonna steal your baby in the night yes yeah well it's it's also all like um like i hate my kid fan fiction <laughs> totally like, it's all yeah. ways to be like it this explains why i can't uh, why i hate my kid it's because it's actually like a supernatural being yes that's i mean uh, we i don't even think there are bad kids in this book which is too bad because we've really enjoyed talking about terrifying little kids i would love if a little kid were just floating around this rotten ass house (laughs) but i mean it's like it's a little bit of a like it's not there's a bit of a turn of the screw vibe here there's a bit of this screw vibe here between your mother and sister. <laughs> yes. Certainly. Yes, there is. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so tell us what happens. I'd love to tell you what happens. Okay. So get ready. Hold on to your butts because we're going <laughs> into go. the house of Usher. <laughs> okay. So our narrator, who's just like Mr. Nar- John Q. Narrator, um, he gets a letter from his old friend Roderick Usher, who, like it turns out, is not doing so hot. Um, and they were friends as kids, but they don't really like keep in touch. He, you know, it's like it's like maybe, well, I'm his best friend, but he's not my best friend, sort of deal. Um, and so he, so our narrator gets to the house of Usher, and it is covered in fungus. There are glowing fart clouds everywhere. Um, and it has vacant eye-like windows, which Poe says twice. So but in like in like two paragraphs. So basically the house is a fucking butterface and they need <laughs> HGTV, the property brothers in there immediately. 
They're not good neighbors. They don't have a nice lawn. <laughs> they no, they are not good neighbors. And um just an aside, so this like creepy creepy house is uh, populated by the Usher family who are like inbred as fuck. They are so inbred they could be in the American Kennel Club dog show. Yes. Like that's yes, a level. Yes. That's a level we are at. Um, and so the narrator gets inside and it's like somehow even fucking worse. Um, it's dark. It's full of suits of armor. It's like Chris Angel mind freak David Blaine <laughs> decor. <laughs> and he sees his friend and his friend looks like shit. He looks straight up dead and his hair is so dirty that it's floating away from his body <laughs> and the vibe is very first half of an antidepressant commercial <laughs> <laughs> yes so, it is I'll, so i'll say that um and we find out that roderick has this mysterious family disease that has freaked him out and made him like a real princess in the pea type so he can't eat anything that's not beige and he can only listen to string instruments um and he has this freaky sister, Madeline, who is also sick. And um, the narrator did not know about her, right. which is totally normal for your childhood friend. Right. So she like wanders around in a nightgown for two seconds and then she dies, which is like sort of a relief to everyone because she's creepy as hell. <laughs> so they get her, they haul her down into a big old tomb. And before they lock her in there, they take a little look-see. And the narrator's like, you know what? She looks a little bit alive. That's weird. <laughs> oh, well, lock her in. <laughs> so after that happens, it becomes like the real worst case scenario for the narrator. Um, like you go and visit your creepy ass friend at his creepy ass mansion. His sister dies when you're there. And he gets more and more unhinged. And he's also like, I've written a few songs. and I'd like to sing them. To oh, you. yes. <laughs> So that's the whole middle of the story. And he's just becoming like more and more weird. Um, he's behaving like he's on mushrooms and cocaine. He's like, th th like things are alive and like our food is real. And also like he's like super freaked out <laughs> like and there are bugs under his skin. <laughs> um, so then we get to the crazy. Then we get to the Jumanji portion of our show. <laughs> Um, where the narrator is like, I know what'll calm Roderick down. I'll read him a book about like a knight. And, oh, right. and so, um, he reads about like a knight, like, uh, and a dragon and there's a banging sound and it corresponds to something going on in the book. And Roderick is like, holy fucking shit. This is a magical book. And, but, but, uh, Roderick is like, no, actually, like, I got something to tell you. Um. I have these really acute senses. And so it turns out that I have known for the past like week and a half that the, my sister has not actually been dead in this tomb. So again, again with the fuck boys, rather than owning up to his mistake of locking her in the tomb, he is like, well, if I just avoid this problem long enough, it'll go away. Right. And he's basically like, listen, you can't be mad at me, but my undead sister who's kind of my wife is also right outside the door and she's pissed. <laughs> <laughs> so Madeline gets to the door and she's like, what the fuck? And she's in her nightie. Right. And she kind of like grabs onto Roderick and they both die. And the narrator's like, ah, gotta go. They both died. 
they both died. So he's like, we got, he runs out of the house and the whole ass house splits down the middle and gets swallowed by the earth. The moral of the story is don't do incest and don't do construction over a sinkhole. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. It is Uh. like, so it is like, it's a super creepy story as all of like Poe is. It's also like fucking goofy though as hell though, right? Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like what the? And, and I mean, I went, yeah, like I mean, to- total fuck boy. I guess we can uh, sort of excuse him on the grounds of he's clearly deeply insane, which which the narrator like knows, but like also is I, I I don't I don't know the narrator's relationship with him, Roderick. I still don't quite get. But I also like I like okay, so obviously entombing the sister while she's alive means something. But I struggle to put what, like what the fuck it does. Like what actually it like why why does she get buried alive and come at like what what's what is um what's happening there? I mean it, it has to have like gender anxiety things happening, but I don't yeah, I just I don't know. I, I was really as I reread this like last night, I was really struggling to like what okay, what what the fuck does Poe think that this actually means or is telling us, other than that it's creepy and kind of goofy. <laughs> So, so Megan, I don't like. I have, I have a, I have a theory of incest here. But um, do you? Ha- I mean, I you are like, you are like Mister Too Damn Incest. I am Mister Too Damn Incest. I mean, yeah. I, God, I don't know if I if I have like a straight answer for this though. Like, um, I, I think that she has to be both living and dead simultaneously through the whole story schrodinger's sister schrodinger's sister uh for us to for the story to work i don't know quite what i'm saying really but like she has to be both simultaneously right she has to be living and dead for us to understand like the house Mm -hmm. as both something tangible and intangible right like it's a real structure but sort of not really total yes yes absolutely yeah i agree like it's a real it's a real structure but not actually and so like i think that um part of what's going on i think is that like so she is the i mean not to like get super psych 101 on it but i'm gonna um it invites it though like this is one of those stories that like we can be the lit crit dorks over it super invites it because okay so like the suggestion is that these two are identical twins which they can't can't, no which they can't be because they're brother and sister but there is a suggestion that like they look totally alike right and so it's got to be like she has and the way she pops up out of nowhere like she has to be the suppression of like roderick in some way Mm. um and so it's got to be something about the family that has gotten like so repressed that it's like popped out um in this in this twinning like there's something going on in the family this mystery right like uh there's something fucked up about them like they say that everything passes by direct descent because every every like branch that branched off the family has died right. so there's like some weird rot in the family but the in the mystery is indivisible like you can't um like you can't really get into it but with um but like madeline and roderick splitting the house in two it's like um 
it's like the splitting of the timeline. Mm-hmm. So I think it has a lot to do. It, it like splits. So the house is passed through and that them, them splitting and then coming back together is like this, the, um, you know, like we see this thing that's been going on forever. And I do think that it's about this national anxiety. That's like only possible for Poe to be writing about it now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that, that makes, and the line, the, the, the line about the line where, um, we're told that like, yeah, it, it, this is the, the problem is incest. Uh, it, it isn't even that like other branches uh, die. Well, and it, it, they don't have any enduring branch, but it, it's like even more direct than that. <clears throat> in other words, the, the entire family lay in the direct line of descent and had always with very trifling and very temporary uh, variation. So late. So it's like every once in a while, someone's like, I'm not going to fuck my sibling, but then right. that, that, those are the people that, that, that like, yeah, die off. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. So what? I, so I mean that that the, the the national question does. Uh, I mean this was something I was thinking about. And I was talking with you guys a little bit earlier. Um, that like and, and Poe like so Poe is not the only one. Like Hawthorne, Melville, a lot of these like mid nineteenth century or early nineteenth century American writers are like super fascinated by this whole concept of the arist- the European aristocracy and the rot of the European aristocracy. And like in Hawthorne and Melville's case, they're both like Hawthorne with, you know, when we talk about this context, it's Scarlet Letter and then um, House of the Seven Gables. It's like, ooh, and, and, and Melville with Pierre. It's like, ooh, but what if America had something like this? How fucked up would it be? It would be pretty fucked up. They really fucked <laughs> up, yeah. Yeah. Poe's like, I mean, you know, he sets a lot of his stories on, in Europe. Like they're either, you know, a kind of vague setting but it's clearly not the United States. And, and yeah, so like, what is it that, what is this problem of this, this incestuous decayed kind of like class structure that is like, so like the, the national question, like what, why, why are America, why do Americans give a shit about that at this, at this moment in history, you know? Well, and it's 1839, like it can't be that old, you know, yeah. just like yeah. empirically speaking. Yeah, right. I mean, so it's almost like, ooh, like we have this envy for this like really sort of grotesque or thing that we're, we think is really grotesque thing. Why? <laughs> you know, like. I well, is think. it envy? It's, it's, no. It sort of feels that way in a weird way. So I think it's like, um, you know, people that watch like um, zit popping videos on YouTube. (laughs) It's like it's not that it's not about like liking to see it. It's about like needing to see it. Okay, (laughs) I think it's more like that. I think it's more like that. And I will give like the 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 kind of pat answer, which is that I think that it's about the idea like people are starting to get nervous that there's a national sin mm-hmm. and it's like corrupting us and that it's slavery. Yeah, right. Okay. Right. But like and that- to what degree does Poe buy that? Do you know? I'm I know that like we we know just from his works that Melville is a you know, a abolitionist. Like right, that he has a very strong take on this. Mm-hmm. And and Hawthorne was fairly, I mean not to the extent Melville was, but Haw- Hawthorne was also like not super down with the fact that slavery existed, right? Right. North I mean Thoreau much more strongly, which is like right at the, this period of time. Sorry, go ahead, Kitty. Yeah, no, no, we're not getting like we're not um we're not getting that Melville stuff like Poe is not like, you know, like John Brown. Um <laughs> yeah. he he's not Go like straight for the yeah. Yeah, he's not like like, you know, um he, he's not the wokest man who ever lived. 
I know that there is interesting stuff about his politics. I don't know a whole ton about it. I'm like, I more or less know that um, about Poe's personal life and not like so much about Which his was political life. The most fucked. Oh yeah, yeah. Like basically, he was a very sad alcoholic. Yeah. Um, and, and he just couldn't couldn't get it together. Yeah, he was, like, he was like orphaned or abandoned and then adopted by this guy who really didn't give a shit about him. And like he spent like most of his life trying to get this guy's approval, which never came. And then, yeah. Married an 11-year-old. And married an 11-year-old who he's related to. Yes, or was that a different person that he married who he was related no, to? He did, he did that. He did that. Yeah. He d- he did yeah. it. So th- so there's sort of like a <laughs> his own personal psychology that's coming. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I mean that that it, regardless of like the extent to which like <clears throat> like slavery was was uh, you know something that he was opposed to or or was that that was like the question that was super burning on his mind. I do think that like okay, if you look at the antebellum United States, what is the thing that looks most like the European aristocracy? And it's the fucking plantation class. It just is, you know, like right. that. And, and I think and, and, and like I think I, I don't I would be hard pressed to imagine an American of that era who did who who wouldn't you know who, that 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 wasn't part of their thinking. I mean, not necessarily they they that they were thinking of it as in a condemnatory way, uh, you know, certainly not in the case of a lot of Southerners and a lot of like pro-slavery Northerners. But still, I mean, that is like. Yeah, like the the giant manor house, except like at the pinnacle of a, of a slave economy. The yeah, it's it. I, yeah, I mean, so I, I, it's not hard for me to sort of like see that question operating at some level in in this story. Um. So I think the thing is like, what wherever Poe comes down on this, right, is like we're getting to a point where there's going to be it's we're either going to keep being a nation of slaveholders or not like something's mm-hmm. going to happen. There's going to be some split. We have, we have two roads to take. And so in, in some very real way, Madeline and Roderick are um, t- the, through them, we get to see the path not taken. Like that's a little bit what it's about. It's like you're haunted by that possible course that you could have taken. Mm-hmm. And so that gets that gets realized physically. And it's also about, I would say you can read it in a you can read it as nationalism in an interesting way because it's incest is about like warped self-love. Mm-hmm. And so that's what's freaky about it. And that's why pe- like that's why we shun it so in with such passion. Like it's this, it's the it's the top it's the number one taboo mm-hmm. right. um and so and it's also about this thing that we sort of like all have the capacity for which is loving something that's like us so much like us that it becomes this thing that is like a disease mm-hmm. and a pathology that like allows that plot of land to be pathologized itself mm-hmm. Right. And that's part of what you're pointing to, Tristan, is that like the house is pathological. Its lineage becomes pathological. And um and I mean, this house is both southern and northern to me. Okay, now again, like I don't know why I keep spinning out in weird directions today, but like it has that sort of like decrepit Falknerian southern yes. Yes. thing. Yes. But it also feels like 
Hawthorne-y, New Englandy. Yeah, yeah. It's it's dusty. very yes. It, it there's a certain there is a there's an aroma of the Flor- Floridian about it. <laughs> yeah. There is, yeah. but there's also like, like the aroma of the Maine, like a Stephen King book. Or yes, something. yeah, yes. It it is like the thing is the fact that the fucking house is like covered in mushrooms. Yeah. Yes. Is yeah. there's like something there's that's it's, a little it's southern hot. rot. Rot. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The rot is like so, there's something to be said for the rot. Yeah. Um. It's a weird ass house. There's like so also there's just like there's so much that happens in this story that's pretty short. Um. There's like so, there's like stuff going on with like they're like. They're so musical. He loves to read weird old church books. Oh yeah. Like yeah. you get like every you get you get everything. We got everything. It's a real smorgasbord. Yeah. It's such a well, like list poem in a way though, right? So it's like he does this, he likes this thing, he likes this thing. We went to school to you know, it's yeah. like No, definitely. Yeah, and right. And, and right. And so like, you know, we uh, in your intro, Katie did a like a nice kind of setting up of how it like gestures towards like um yeah, late nineteenth, early twentieth century psychoanalytic thought. But the other thing that it's like super fixated on is like eighteenth century aesthetic theory. Like there's this whole thing yes. on the totally. Burkeans, the blonde, which it, it, that is something that we yeah. can actually talk where he's like, oh, like, you know, other houses that were spooky like this would be sublime. And even though they terrified me, they would like give me a aesthetic boner uh, but but this yeah. one totally didn't and it's like okay obviously first of all that's not true like i mean the whole gothic is the sublime genre like we're reading this specifically because it does like inspire you know it, the sublime and it does evoke some sort of like kind of like thrilling sense um but yeah so there's that there's also like uh like you know roderick um and then like his his friend the narrator have like they have that like uh they're they're sort of si- like yeah that, that his his sensations and his like kind of emotions are like out of whack that's very very kind of like Adam Smith of like the, the the theory of moral sentiments version of Adam Smith. It's like super fixing on like what would bad feeling look like? And can you feel too much? Is that a threat? Like, yes, right. it is. That's what's happened to this guy. Um, so yeah, it, it's like, it, it actually, there there's like, there's a ton of like philosophical discourses, um, a, a lot from a, like an earlier moment in history that this is working through um, that I think is really fascinating and don't quite know exactly what I want to do with. Well, one thing that's important to keep in mind here is that Roderick is kind of like an empath, and he buried his sister in a tomb because he needed to do self care. <laughs> right? Yeah, right. It's, it's important. Like, yeah, I mean, okay. if she's if she's around, you know, with her illness, that's just I can only manage one decaying aristocrat at a time, and that's me, right? So, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have to put your own oxygen mask on before you can help <laughs> your incest. Yeah. And so that's something. Who's half you anyway, right? It's like they're breathing each other's air and that's like the other toxic thing. Because no one has opened a window. Right. That's Well, because they have to serve as the like glassy-eyed Burkean yeah. outfacing so right like they have to be eyeballs so it's like both freud and burke and you're like yeah ooh, that's uncanny but also inviting and deep yeah well they're also like it, okay so the, here's the other thing that's kind of important is like it is icky in this house for sure it's it's not it's like dracula it, yeah, yeah it's like it's like it smells like bo the furniture has doo-doo on it yeah yeah like the guy's hair is dirty 
this is not like this is not the boob ladies in Dracula. Madeline is not the Dracula titties lady. There's nothing happening here. No, except for the the fact that they're fucking right, right. But that doesn't have any allure to it whatsoever. That's just like disgust. That should disgust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I I don't know. Like that uh, that that. I, I feel <laughs> I feel like a lot of other American fiction that's like it, you know sort of into the incest theme, which Megan, as you made the case, is all of it. Uh, all of American literature mm-hmm. is uh, it, like a, like I don't know. I mean, it's not that like in Faulkner it's like sexy, but it's like 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 Poe is like this is bad, this is bad. Also, yeah. it's something I'm doing personally. So it's, but I bet you know, like, <laughs> um, which I, I don't know. Like it, it's just and like I say, it's weird uh, because like. The gothic is such a kind of like titillating genre in a lot of ways. Like that, that it and it is like I mean, even that the sexiness is sort of typed as like gross. That's like it, it like wants to have it both ways, and I don't really feel like this story does. You know, like no, I don't think so at all. Um, which is which is kind of so. It's it's in that way. It's it's I guess sort of a. Uh, that's an interesting aspect of how it deals with this theme that is so common in like antebellum American literature. Yeah, yeah. It's it's also like so um so I do like I think we should maybe go back to the thing that you also said earlier Tristan cuz it also ties back into um the phrenology and the science thing which is like so Roderick is very he's a sensitive man. Yes. He's yes. he's very sensitive. He can hear everything. Yes. He can his eyes he can't have don't don't turn the lights on. His <laughs> eyes. Hello. Yes. He can't. His skin is papery. You know, like right. there's. A, he he can't like. Um. He's he's way too sensitive. Yes. Um. Well, he he's has a little bitch. the. We'll talk. We can talk about this more if you guys want to. He has the skull and forehead features. Yes. Of a person with a pronounced degree of ideality. Yes. No, Meg and Meg, when you you, <laughs> you, uh, you you I know you said at the top that you really want to talk about phrenology. I, I yes, I want I definitely want to hear more about this. But his characterization yeah. is like phrenological like it's I'm not making this up. Like he describes the way his fucking head looks. Should, should we should we rehearse yeah. uh for people who aren't like dorks about this period uh what phrenology was exactly? Uh I can do my best. I don't have like a long I don't have I don't have like a comprehensive speech about it, but like Francis Gall is the kind of the guy in the late in the early 19th century who um thinks that they're uh, that the regions how he gets there is not as crazy as it sounds so bear with me uh how he gets there is he after um dissecting a bunch of brains mostly animal ones he thinks that there are sections of the brain that are that activate different parts of human uh personality or judgment or anything like this which of course we know now is kind of true right Right. But he thinks that what happens is that like certain brains get grow develop mm-hmm. in certain places and that make you better at like poetry, mm-hmm. for example. And that your head reflects the development of that part of your brain. Right. Yes. Because your head gets uh 
<laughs> bigger yeah or whatever when you have the section that's like good at poetry right yeah and, and, and it's not for nothing good- that white people are better at poetry right no that yeah i was gonna say that, that like it, it arises yes. at the same time that kind of early anthropology which was hugely yes. racist uh, yes. and, and also like the development of, of modern science is like used like by you know there's there's a there's a lot of very dark directions that people yeah. avoid that in the oh, 19th yes. century yeah. um so there's the racial aspect of it also like kind of classes too like i mean the, another thing that victoria Oh, yeah. were super super interested and was like uh, like oh crime and like the patholog- patholicization which is a word i can't say today <laughs> of crime and it's like well maybe if we if we take poor people and feel their skulls we can figure out which are like good poor people that we can maybe make like at least like kind of <laughs> middle class people and which are just like you know just abject and like need to need to go to the the workhouse immediately <laughs> yep if it will it's what's what's Funny about not funny. Um, what's interesting about phrenology is that it gives you like a. It, it's like a. There's a loophole that lets you be racist, um, but also means that like you can rehabilitate some people, right? right. Which is like that you that it's like it's mostly like yeah you know um t- it, like t- it we tend Europeans tend quote unquote to to have these skull shapes that make us better at uh, p- poetry and pantaloons and fucking bullshit <laughs> right and Incest. so that's like yeah yeah just n- knocking it out of the park um but there's also some sort of stuff like well you can like kind of fuck your kid up in a way that like makes their brain uh not as good as it should be and it, like within a tiny little range you can you can have some wiggle room um not enough to like undo being racist but enough to like well if you can like smush your kid's head in a little you might have some you might be able to do something with little timmy who seems kind of fucked up but like maybe <laughs> right, we can right, do something right. with him. Um, and it's like uh poe and other people get so into this that it becomes their like universal classificatory system so this is like i'm not shitting you when i say that like in his book reviews poe always has to say something about like the head of the writer right and and you and you were saying he he did and i did i i myself had noted noted this part in in follow the house of usher but you're saying that even though he doesn't talk specifically about phrenology in this that 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 sort you can still see that kind of like upset fixation like part part yes. of, a part of how he's describing um just physical features of, of the of the of the family and so forth well the temp like the shape of the temples is this whole thing about about like ideality which i find really like um I I just find the notion that you could use any form of inquiry as like the skeleton key to personality detection really odd. But then you have to use like what's junk science. Yeah, (laughs) right, right. It's like even funnier to me that he's like, oh, I figured out who this – like why this guy is such a genius in his writing. And it's because like he has a big, enormous manly forehead. Right, right. Yep. But the thing is, so I have, I actually have a poster of a phrenology head, yeah. like hanging in my room yeah. right now. Yeah. Cool. Um, I mean, I'm surprised I don't. <laughs> cool as <laughs> hell. <laughs> um, but like the thing about it is, so you can tell stuff, like you can look at somebody, you can be like, you got a big ass fucking forehead. But then there's this other stuff that people who get 
and like people there was like this crossover between people who were into phrenology and people who were into mesmerism and hypnosis which like people were like it's very mesmerism and hypnosis are very different um and so like anyway you can you can like peep someone's forehead and be like okay i kind of know like he's a big forehead guy like you know what they say about guys with big foreheads (laughs) you know geniuses (laughs) And with big, big old, big old dicks. Really? Talking about dicks. Um, anyway, but it's like so you have you can see the big forehead energy, but you also like BFE. there's other stuff that you can't tell unless you touch. Right. Right. Yes. Yes. That's also so why you like need calipers. Yes. <laughs> you got to do a lot of measuring because yes. you have to like measure certain sections to make sure that. You don't have like, you know, of course, the other side that has to be mentioned besides like, oh, you're good at poetry or whatever is the criminal type. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Which is like the whole other point yeah. of doing this is like race, si- fake race science, mm-hmm. obviously, yeah. as a way to like designate who's actually dangerous mm-hmm. or a criminal type of the... um. The, the the anti-Semitic trope, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, the criminal type that was, like, sneaky. Right. That's the other, that's another sort of genre of phrenological study that's, like, about fucked up race science. Yeah. Yep. There's, like, there's, there are different branches of it, because one is more, like, one is more, like, keeping the family, uh, like, who's in the family and who's out of the family, and, and kind of, like, how do you how do you manage the nature nurture thing and make sure that oh, you're yeah. like rearing your kids skulls correctly and then there's another thing which is just like well they uh don't have anything to eat and are covered in fleas because their heads aren't shaped right and so we shouldn't we don't have to do anything to help them because it's their heads right 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 yeah so that, like there's two it it diverges yeah that right so like that <laughs> that's another like so okay so like <sighs> In one sense, like attributing sort of like, like, yeah, the criminal to a a sort of like bio, like to, to, to an illness of some kind, like it's like, well, okay, well, so, I mean, that, that feels, it may be in one sense where we're getting out of a mode where it's just like, uh, you know, I mean, I think it like the kind of, uh, uh, Foucault's idea of like uh, a pre-modern punishment. It's just like, you just, you just get rid of the effects. Like you just, you just don't think about it. It's like, okay, this person committed this crime, kill them. We're done with it. It's more like, okay, well, this can be treated in some way. And and, I mean, you know, today that like, yeah, like, I mean, people, but like you know, there there are there are uh, you know certain traumas and things like you know uh, like violent behavior uh, can be the re- uh, certainly um, in cases the, the the result of uh, of a psychological issue. Although again, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, people you know suffers of mental illness are far and away more likely to be victims of crime than to to. But you know, but but that but that's there's you know that 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 that's a thing that like that. Um, that uh you know that the psychiatric care as part of like uh uh, uh you know addressing this sort of uh, systemic and societal problem um but a lot for a lot of victorians it wasn't it was like okay patho- you're sick and that is how we're going to get rid of you you know what i mean like it's not like you're sick and so how might we treat this although that is part of the the emergence of the of the of the um you know the the thought, the thinking behind like the prison as reformatory structure again, thinking of like mm. Foucault, but like for a lot of social policy, of the period that's not 
prime. It, it was still sort of about getting rid of and carving out and like kind of objectifying yes. big swaths of, of, of uh, like the urban poor. And diagnosing a, it, right? Yeah. Like making it into this, like, I think it changes the discourse in a way that like actually is very Foucauldian from something like, um, uh, religious or moral into something scientific. Right. But when you, um, when you talk about the ushers, it's both. Oh, totally. Yeah. That's, that's also like why I think Poe is such a, such a, like, such a figure who does, does earlier periods and later periods simultaneously because right so like this is what i mean that he's weird weirdly into like both bullshit garbage phrenological science but also like kind of not totally stupid science yeah yeah like well, fingerprints knows, yeah right like there's something so so yeah there's something there's something in this like wanting to so the head thing we toss it out the window <laughs> um but there's also a thing of like you know, so the fingerprint thing, you can't you can't tell if somebody's good or bad by their fingerprints, but you can tell who they are. Right. Um so it's like identifying, classifying, it's a different thing than like people thought they were doing with phrenology and stuff, but there's another there's this thing where um so when Poe talks about like Madeline Usher, he talks about how the so there's actually more people in this story than you think mm-hmm, there are yeah. because there's like a servant who greets the narrator right. at the beginning and then there's a doctor who who Poe yes. goes out of his way to say is like a fuck he's a freak. Right. He's like a creepy little freak. Right. Um but he says uh about Madeline Usher's disease that um the disease of the lady Madeline had long baffled the skill of her physicians, right. a settled apathy, a gradual wasting away of the person. And frequent, although transient, affections of a partially cataleptical character were the unusual diagnosis. Hitherto, she had steadily borne up against the pressure of her malady and had not betaken herself to bed. But on the closing of the evening of my arrival, she succumbed uh, to the pressuring power of her destroyer. And so then she dies. Um, And so the thing is that, like, Madeline has incest disease <laughs> and she's seen the doctor for she has it. family weakness right she has incest disease but she also has like historical weakness history yes has centuries of incest yes <laughs> Cent- yes it is it is deep and profound incest but like the thing about it is or the thing about her her disease is that she is it's a wasting disease so she is like she's disappearing and um she has some kind of an unusual disease so it's not something that um you can treat or explain but it's and she's also uh she's done the good fight against it she right, like she tried. hasn't got she tr- she tried real hard and she clawed herself out of her tomb at the end um and so there's something to say for this. So Poe is saying that uh, the incest disease is a, is a family sin and it's a family curse, but it's also something that actually it's this weird disease. And maybe if she had a better doctor, we might come up with something for this. Right. Interesting. Because there's something really redeeming about her. It's like she didn't go to bed. She was really sick, but she didn't go to bed mm-hmm. and she didn't freak out like, Roderick did 
And the only reason why she uh, isn't with us in this story is because Roderick, when she was taking a nap, like shoved her in a coffin and crammed her into a tomb. Right. But it's a family and tomb then, too, right? Like it's a – Well, she's she's in a vault actually. She's not in, in this story. She's not in a – she's not entombed yet. Okay. But it is the family tomb, right? Like it's another way of like returning her to the sort of like familial lineage. He's gonna. But the he that's where he's going to put her in the family plot. But he says he wants to keep her in the house for 14 days because right. it's raining and it's like a far walk or some <laughs> shit. Right. right. He has to keep her on whatever little platform. I don't know why. But we don't see the inside of it, but in my mind. Um, it's well because he doesn't want to fucking because he knows she's alive and he doesn't want to bury her in the family tomb until she's actually dead. Right, but he has to so wait like, it well, out. Wait. Yeah, so that's why he's got this cockamamie two weeks idea, so he can starve her to death. I mean, it's like, yeah. So her wasting is actually something like kind of complicated, right? Because it's like she does sort of like get her ass out of bed to come kill him. I mean, I know she's not really coming to kill them, but like yeah. She, she's she's uh wandering around the the mansion like she's making herself known. And then she does cl- she claws herself out yeah. of uh, this giant tube. Yeah. Right. So I mean, is this is kind of like fairly just straightforward misogyny that he has to kill her because he's locating his like bad desire exclusively on her. And then like the fact that she's stronger than he is claws her way out of the tomb and like, like what the fuck it brings the house down. That's like, not only is it the like, oh, like I'm attracted to my sister and don't want to be, but also my sister's going to fucking kill me with it. You know, it's like, I don't know. I mean, which, which seems like it's like, well, that is not all that satisfying. That's pretty like just straightforward misogyny but like but i don't know i mean is that is that what's happening i i I think i think that's exactly what's like i do think that's exactly right like i do think it's sort of important that she does like just like you said she she's the one who brings the house down totally right i mean i think it's also that like that the whole structure of the relationship is fucked in every way it can be so sibling incest is like about all these things and it's about property problem and it's about like you you can't find a wife who will enlarge your family lineage and it's about miscegenation it's all the shit but it's also about like the absence of a structure of patriarchy that dictates like who owns this place who tells all the other people what to do and so like they don't have that structure here because it's horizontal right so like she gets to bring the house down and that's like oh that's so the fucked up that's the one of the fucked up things about the structure yeah totally well uh, right us and, and yeah so right the the like yeah the the uh and and you know i mean and the the kind of fear of miscegenation like in the american context is like super uh thing of fixation but also like in the like you know i mean one reason why royal royal houses have been so incestuous is like you, you don't want any outsiders to like be part of this like right but but the other but the thing though too is that like i mean of course like the you know distaff line as it was called the the, the 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 female line um that's also the way like a royal house you know under under kind of a pat, patrilineal patriarchal structures acquires more wealth and power right like if the sons aren't marrying women outside the family then nothing new is coming i think that's sort of like what you're getting at right that like nothing new it's like that's part of like 
the enervation of it is like it can't acquire anything new and it's sort of so it's just kind of eating itself I mean, it's like one more variable on this list of like 30 variables about why this is the most pathological of family relationships, right? right. right? So it's like, you can't bring in more because you can't marry the woman off, but also you can't marry the man. Like, there's no version of like making... um, uh, Whoopi. Yeah. Well, I mean, making strategic arrangements. Yeah. Okay, Katie, do you have wrap-up questions for us? I do. I have a wrap-up quiz for you. Yay! In honor, in honor of the Usher family, we find out from the narrator that the Ushers are a uniquely musical family. This is my confession. This is my confession. My pony. (laughs) That's a different person. It is. I was just going with the 90s theme. Yes. Tristan has no idea what we're talking about. None. He will soon, though. None <laughs> at all. <laughs> well, There's this guy we're called ident- Usher. Okay, sorry. That's- <laughs> <laughs> and he... And he, he, what does he, he makes your booty go something. What's that line? Uh, I can't remember. Something by a booty. I, I don't I've, know. I've heard of Usher. I have. <laughs> he has a Usher's song called good. Confessions. That's why I said this is my confession. Okay. I got it. Yes. I put it together. And he, okay. He used to wear um, blazers, like, uh, like shiny blazers, uh, like golden blazers with no shirt. Yes. Oh, okay. I, this rings a bell. Sort of, I'm lying, but I know, I know the, na- <laughs> I know the, na- I, I, I understand, I, I get the, I understand the genre of joke at this point. Okay, well, he's very okay. talented. Um, it was the, but it anyway, was the, the R and B genre joke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> rhythm and blues. <laughs> so, what is our musical quiz? Well, I would like to give you a quiz to determine which one you are, whether you're more of a Madeline, a Roderick, or a narrator. John Q narrator. Uh, John Q person narrator man. And then I'd like to just real quick uh, measure your skulls. Won't hurt a bit. (laughs) And then we'll just be able to get to the bottom of it. Okay. So question one. You have made a terrible mistake. Which of the following songs do you include on your apology mix? Number one, She Hates Me by Puddle of Mud. (laughs) Number two, Oops, I Did It Again by Britney Spears. Or three, Sorry by Justin Bieber. I mean, it's obviously Britney Spears, of whom I am a non-ironic fan. Mm -hmm. But... Why can't it be Usher's Confessions, I ask you? It's it's not a good apology song. No, it's not. Yeah. It's more like a... I did it. I'm just saying I cheated. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I I know, you know, I I remember that. I can sing that song. Uh, Oops, I did it again. Uh, But but, uh, I saw that on... She's amazing. Yeah, I I watched that on Total Request Live with Carson Carson Daly. There you go. Uh, So uh, I also, I've heard of, I know who Justin Bieber is. I couldn't name one of his songs, but I think, I think then I I have to go with the Britney Spears song, uh, which works for this genre. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. 
thank you both. Um, okay, question mm-hmm. two. You have become the manager of a moderately successful Starbucks. Okay. Congratulations. The dream. Which which song do you play in the mornings to pump up your team? We Are Family by Sister Sledge. <laughs> We're Not Gonna Take It by Twisted uh, Sister. Yeah. Or Sisters Are Doing It For Themselves by the Eurythmics. I the the God. Twisted man Twisted Sister, We're Not Gonna Take It. That brings out both my Philly and Baltimore. I mean, that is some that is some 80s mid-Atlantic shit going on there. It's like <laughs> any fucking bar in Philly in the mid you're gonna hear that shit. So I I gotta go with that. I mean, it, like only like a Bon Jovi song, uh, like living uh, only living on a prayer oh, would be yeah. more like kind of Philly. So okay. As much as I don't like the title and its intention here, I am going to do the Eurythmics just be out of like favorite band of those three. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Great. Thank you. Okay, so you've decided to go go on down to the honky tonk. And listen to a little country music. Yeehaw! Okay, which one of these best represents your mood? She thinks my tractor's sexy by Kenny Chesney. Are you making these Save up? A- no, no sure it's real. real. Save a horse, ride a cowboy by Bacon Rich, or Family Tradition by Hank Williams Jr. This, this is all bad country, like. Where's where's my where's my Hank Williams Senior? Where where's my Johnny Cash? <laughs> None of these have been good music so far. It's not like she just picked the country to be bad. I know, but like, what was the low grade dirty one in the middle there? Save a horse, ride there a cowboy. Yeah, I just I mean I can't I can't abide Kenny Chesney or Hank Williams Junior. No res- disrespect meant to his father, so yeah, I gotta, I gotta go with the the middle and also which uh, what what's it? What was the name again? Save a horse. Oh yeah, that's a, a funny. Yeah, that, that's that's a funny name. Fine. Also, yeah. it doesn't involve being on a horse, and I approve. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's vaguely it's horse preservation, <laughs> but it's also distancing yeah. oneself from the horse. I like it. Yeah, it's good stuff. Um, okay, I'm surprised no one went with She Thinks My Tractor's Sexy, I just, but okay. I just, I'm not going to pick the Kenny Chesney song. It's not happening. <laughs> I mean, Tristan <laughs> could pick out a tractor from a lineup. I don't even know what that fucking is. <laughs> no, absolutely could not. I'm like, do I you can't. put it on your kitchen counter? Does it go next to your Chemex? Like, I'm just too fucking coastal for my head. Like, I can't. Uh, my parents have PhDs. Like, I don't know what a tractor is. You are not a real American. No, no, I'm not. Coast, you're a, you're an elite. <laughs> um, <laughs> see, see, see how you answer this, though. We can get to the bottom of your your uh, your elite psyche. Okay, so picture this: you've lit a few candles, you've made uh, the shape of a heart with rose petals on the bed at a Marriott courtyard. Fancy. <laughs> Because it's your anniversary. Ooh, sexy, sexy. Which song do you play to get in the mood? I'll Make Love to You by Boys to Men. <laughs> okay. <laughs> True, truly, Madly, Deeply by Savage Garden. God. 
or Creep by Radiohead. Oh, Radiohead, definitely. Yeah, I I uh, I have seen both in concert, both Boys to Men and Savage Garden <gasps> at the Delaware State Fair in my hometown. Oh, I love it. Amazing. The, the Savage Garden concert is one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen. Because the only song that they have <laughs> that anyone would know is the Truly Madly Deeply song. They, they started yeah. covering, and, this is 99, and, and like I, to be clear, my friends and I went to this because we had free tickets and as a goof, it's not, we did not purchase these things but anyway uh they they start covering all these spice girl <laughs> songs and so it's like wait but this is a contemporary what? band yeah it was very bizarre um uh the boys to men concert was better yeah i mean i like i, I you know i i hold ready, up what boys to men is from philly yes yeah yeah Motown yeah. Philly, hello. Yeah, that's what I'm. This is like what I'm saying. So Tristan, I'm not sure you have a choice. No, I, I know. I mean, I like of of those. Like Radiohead is definitely more my jam. But um, I'm gonna go with. Uh, I, I will go with the Boys and both for the Philly connection, and also it's like that song. That's like my junior prom <laughs> kind of. You know. So. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Okay, so here's the last question. You're driving down the highway, wind in your hair, and these three songs come on the radio because God loves you. Which one do you crank the loudest? Number one, Hey Soul Sister by Train. (laughs) (laughs) Number two, Father Figure by George Michael. Or number three, Uncle Fucker from South Park. (laughs) Yes, Uncle Fucker. Yes. You know how much I love Father Figure? Like, I sincerely love that song. Not as much as I love um, Careless Whisper, <laughs> which I love. I love George Michael. I'm just, yep, yep. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm fine with George Michael, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm cranking Uncle Fucker. <laughs> I, I support that. <laughs> it's so good. It's funny. It's legit it is funny. It's very funny, yeah. Okay, so are we ready to run this through the algorithm? Do, 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 do. coding, coding, robots, alert, alert. Okay, you ready? No. For your I mean, I have no investment in any of these three characters, so I don't know. I know, what's the worst of these? I don't know. Just tell you both you're the fucking narrator, so I don't have to add anything. <laughs> um, Megan, you are a noted nightgown lover, Madeline Usher. Okay. Tearing down Congratulations. The house. Yeah. Not bad. Yeah. And Tristan, you wound up very close to narrator, but you actually Roderick what? edged it out. For oh, you. wow. Okay. Yes. All right. It was the uncle fucker. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, okay. Well, I get. I should probably go see someone about that. Well, (laughs) probably. Yeah, we've all we've. Katie and I have talked about our therapeutic relations. So, yeah, I guess it's your turn. I give you Stuart's number. (laughs) (laughs) Does he do Skype? Yeah, he does. Cool. He does. See, right. Like, apparently, this know. guy is just like everything you could ever want. I don't know. I got this friend. He has a sibling incest. He doesn't have a sibling, but apparently, has sibling incest. I don't have any brothers, so I don't worry about it. 
got a sister. That's true. And a close stepsister. But like, I like them both. And also, they're not taking over my lives. <laughs> and you're not planning to attune. And they don't own anything. So it's not like. And you're not planning to attune them alive. <laughs> oh, I mean, the younger no. one, sure. But the older one, maybe not. <laughs> Like, she's a nice person, but I think she could stand to spend some time in a tomb. Couldn't we Couldn't all? we all? Ooh, I'd love break. to chew tobacco in that tomb. <laughs> and chew it out the window at bats. That's what you gotta do. <laughs> um, okay. Thank you. That is always an informative activity. So, this has been Better Red Than Dead. You can find Tristan on Twitter at TJ Schweiger. You can find Katie on Twitter at Katie Crywo. You can find me on Twitter at Tusslersaurus. You can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at BetterEdPod, R-E-A-D. And email us at BetterEdPodcast at gmail.com. But only if you want to tell us about the shape of your head and what it tells us about your broken personality. (laughs) (laughs) A lot. Uh, our theme song is Left Bronstein by the Redskins and used with their permission. Our logo was created by Jane Bonsack of JB Design and Content. Please rate us and review us and subscribe. Uh, in the next few weeks, we will be talking about Heart of Darkness, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and Little Women, among other great things. Soon enough, we will get to talking about Ulysses because I'm a sadist to my beloved co-hosts. <laughs> Um, but you'll do. It. You guys can do it. It's fine. Um, I don't know. You can. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>